Welcome to the First Century Youth Ministry Podcast. My name is Heather Kiros, and I'm the author and founder of First Century Youth Ministry. And if you want to learn about Jesus from his Jewish context and get better at discipleship in the 21st century, this podcast is for you. This podcast is a part of the Youth Cartel Podcast Network. Hey friends, before we start this episode, I just want to update you on two very exciting things. The gentleman who I'm interviewing in this episode, Jonathan Brown, is actually going to be serving as the new First Century Youth Ministry co-host with me moving forward. And you all are going to love learning from Jonathan, as you will learn in this episode. And so the other thing is that this week, And then next week, I'll have interviews with Jonathan. And then after that, the First Century Youth Ministry Podcast will take a four-week break. And Jonathan and I will relaunch our newest season for all of you on Monday, March the 6th, with brand new episodes coming to you every other week. So friends, enjoy this episode and enjoy learning from Jonathan. Hey friends, it's Heather here. Welcome back once more to the First Century Youth Ministry Podcast. I've got a special guest who's actually part of our Facebook community, Jonathan Brown on the show. He's a friend of, like I think Jonathan, another John, right? Bogotter, I believe is how you say his last name. Is that right? So shout out to Jonathan if you're listening to this uh, episode. I think he connected Jonathan with our group. But um, Jonathan Brown, the one that I'm talking to today, and I actually got into a discussion a few weeks ago about the festivals, because as a Gentile uh, believer in Jesus, I've become overwhelmingly convinced over the past few years of studying the Jewish roots of our faith that I need to start practicing the festivals. But it's never something that I ever grew up knowing about. And Jonathan is a considers himself uh, messianic and so therefore has practiced the festivals his whole life. And I thought, well, gosh, this might be a guy to talk to to learn a bit more from. And I thought, well, maybe our podcast listeners would want to learn from him as well, because just as I was talking with Jonathan in the pre-show, uh, I was just saying, talking to my husband um, prior to Jonathan and I discussing these things. And I told my husband what the topic was about. My husband's like, well, aren't the festivals just for the Jewish people? And I hear that a lot. And sometimes Christians, I remember there was a church in my hometown who did practice the festivals and we all kind of looked at them sideways of like, are they weird? Like, like that's like that's literally the thought that we had about this church. And little did I know they were actually practicing something that was a gift from God. And now I'm starting to see that, but I didn't see it at the time. So, so Jonathan, welcome to the First Century Youth Ministry Podcast. We appreciate you being here to share your wisdom with us. Yeah, yeah. Jonathan is a dad of five, y'all. So he is not busy at all and gets plenty of sleep, right? <laughs> Yes. Yeah. All the sleep. Yeah. Did you name your kids all after people in the Bible? Like, do you have Ezekiel and Sarah and Ruth and all that? Um, all but uh, my daughter. So all my sons, their first names are all from the Bible. Nice. Um, and then uh, my youngest daughter has a Hebrew name. Okay. Um, it's not from the Bible, but it is a Hebrew name, Eliana. Oh, that's um, pretty. And then my my older daughter. Uh, was not named after a person in the Bible. She was named after a Bible scholar. So she was, she's, her name is Brooklyn. Nice. Um, that's from uh, Brooke Foss Westcott. It was a 19th century uh, okay. English scholar. So 
Very cool. Yeah, I was officiating a basketball game last night at a Christian school. And it's so funny because you hear people yelling names from the crowd and you just feel like you're walking through the Bible. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Let's go, Micah. You can do it, Jonathan. You know what I mean? Like, oh, it's just funny. But yep. okay. Would be really great if they if I all of a sudden one day heard like, Let's go, Bill Dad, the shoe height. Like that'd be pretty sweet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Although I've I've never heard someone reuse the name uh was it Mahershala Khashbaz? Yeah, that one I haven't heard. That either. one from Isaiah. No, nobody wants to reuse that one. <laughs> I'm not, yeah. not gonna find my kid's bicycle license plate with that one. Yeah, that'd be pretty sweet though. I don't even know what you would call him for short, but it would definitely have to be shortened <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Or or Jezebel. You don't see that one running around too much these days either. So but Anyways, no, maybe Isabel, right? You may see yeah. uh, Isabel, but that's true. That's true. Well, so kind of going off of what I was talking about with the discussion that I was having with my husband, you know, a lot of people say the festivals are just for the Jewish people. And um, as Gentiles, uh, we don't or shouldn't celebrate the festivals. But in your opinion, who are these appointed times for? Uh, just the Jews or the Gentiles? And if any, can you offer any biblical support for what you have to say? Yeah. So to to get the, the groundwork, I mean, you know, if we're, if we're talking about studying the festivals, the appointed times, um, we're really talking about starting with Leviticus 23, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's like the, the quintessential chapter of scripture that's going to discuss that because it lays out all of them, sure. right? So yeah. you start with Passover in the spring, you continue through uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread and First Fruits and Shavuot, which we see even in the New Testament yep, uh, that's in right. Acts 2, right? Pentecost. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you go into the fall feasts, you have the Day of Trumpets, you have the Day of Atonement, uh, and then Sukkot, right? The, yep. the, the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths. Yeah. So it's laid out there in um, Leviticus 23. And the very beginning of Leviticus 23 is a part that it seems to be most important, in my opinion, because that's God introducing the whole topic. Mm. But it's a part that people often tend to gloss over. Um, and what he starts by saying is not... Here, Israel, these are your festivals. Yeah. Right. It says that God speaks to Moses and he says, tell the people of Israel that these are my appointed times. Right. He right. says these are Adonai's, right? The Lord's appointed times. So mm-hmm. to begin with, they're God's times, not the Jews. Mm-hmm. Um, now you could say, well, God gave them to the Jewish people. And he did. But the purpose was always, just like anything else, anything else that was given in the Torah, the purpose was always to receive it to put it into practice and to take it out to the nations. Israel was supposed to be that light, right? The light shining on a hill. Um, He says in Deuteronomy, you know, other nations should look at you and say, what a wise nation there is. And look at what wonderful laws you have, right? Now, we think of that today, and it feels kind of weird thinking about some country out there and admiring their laws. And, you know, especially in America, where we are so privileged to have more freedoms than most other uh, countries are, are able to express. but from an ancient perspective, that was a big deal, sure. right? That, that was essentially saying, look at the structure of our entire society, right? This law covenant that we operate under, and they're supposed to look at it and realize how righteous and good it is. Yeah. So, you know, the the, the Christian, the, the common Christian sort of response to the law oftentimes is negative. We think of it just as something that, oh, you get punished when you do something bad, right? Right. Um, and there has been a lot of really good scholarship in the last few years that has really tried to do away with that mentality of thinking law bad, law negative. You know, we don't need those sorts of things. I really um, like Dr. Carmen Imes' work on that, her book, Bearing God's Name. She really unpacks that super well and helps us understand that actually the giving of the law was a gift to Israel because it gave them structure and order and it gave them a, an identity. 
Absolutely. Um, you know, her, uh, her doctoral advisor was Daniel Block um, when she was a student. Of course, she's, you know, professor now. Um, but her, her doctoral advisor was Daniel Block. And he has written a lot about that. In fact, in his own writings, he won't call it the Old Testament. He, he talks about that in some of his books. He'll call it the First Testament. Nice. He says, because if you use the term old, he goes, people will think that means back then, not for me. Sure. He said it that that's that's you you can't get more wrong than that. It's absolutely for you. Because if you don't have what we call the old testament, you don't even understand why you need the new. There you go. Yeah. So he calls it the first testament in his book. So I always I always found that interesting. Yeah. Um but again, the, the goal for Israel was take what God has given you because you are his his treasured possession, right? Mm-hmm. You are this peculiar people that God selected. He made a promise to Abraham and he kept that all the way through. He from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, that, that promise is reiterated. Yep. And then you get to all the nation. He brings them out of Israel. He he preserves them. He brings them out of slavery, brings them into a land, basically takes them from, from a wandering people with no home of nothing to what through a whole series of miracles. And that's what a lot of the Exodus story is about is wandering through the, the wilderness, through the Red Sea, coming into land, defeating giants, you know, all these sorts of things that shouldn't be possible. Nice. And now you've been given this land and God says, I did all of this. Mm-hmm. And now you are my people. And so these are my requirements for myself. Mm-hmm. This is how I want you to worship me. Right. So the first piece to notice is that the the festivals are his. Yes. And they're for worship. Mm-hmm. So the idea of, well, those aren't for us. Well, are they for worship? Sure. Um, they are for worship. They are for worshiping the Lord. And, you know, one of the things that we find in the Torah itself, so Genesis through Deuteronomy, yep. we find it in Exodus. We find it in Leviticus. We find it in Numbers. In multiple places, God says there shall be one law for you, mm-hmm. the native-born, and for the different translations will say the the sojourner, the stranger, the resident alien. You know, basically for the person who's not a native ethnic Israelite, but that still dwells and lives with you. And one of the best examples of this would be like Ruth. Yeah. Because oh, Ruth sure. was not a native Israelite. And yeah. even when she had married an Israelite, um, you know, before her husband died, um, when she had married a native Israelite, she wasn't living in Israel, right? Mm-hmm. They were living outside. It wasn't until both the uh, Naomi's sons passed away that she came back to Israel. Mm-hmm. And so Ruth came with her. And the whole point was, your people are my people, which means yeah. she's saying, I want to be an Israelite. That's right. Your God will be my God, which is, again, it's that that confession of faith, mm-hmm. right? And so it's it's that sort of scenario. And so we, we see this expectation that there should be one law for anybody who is God's people. Mm. There should be one. And we find that first time that that statement is issued, at least if we're cracking, uh, tracking canonically, is yeah. in Exodus, right at, at the end of the whole Passover command. Here's how you bring the lamb in. Here's how you prepare the lamb. Here's how you put the blood on your doorposts. All these different things that you're going to do. You have unleavened bread and, and all of this right there in, in Exodus. And then it says there shall be one law for the native and for the foreigner. So there's already this expectation right as Israel is, is beginning to come out of Egypt, there's already this expectation that non-native born people will join with them. And immediately after this, we have a phrase that there were uh, there was a, a, a mixed multitude of people that came with him. It wasn't just the descendants of Abraham that came out of Egypt. It were it was others, mm-hmm. probably a lot of Egyptians, probably a lot of other people that had moved uh, to Egypt during the time of famine because you know everybody had to flock there because of Joseph and all that. Yeah. So there's there's this kind of like inbuilt. Mm expectation that foreigners Mm -hmm. will be coming in to be joined with the native Israelites in worshiping God together, including in, uh, in the festivals. Mm -hmm. Um, We also see this repeated, not just in the Torah, 
but also in the prophets, uh, like in places such as Isaiah 56, um, it talks about to the, the foreigner who joins himself to the Lord, right? Verse six mm-hmm. of Isaiah, uh, again, chapter 56, he says, those who, who join themselves to the Lord, who attend his service and love the name of the Lord to his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds firmly to the covenant. And he talks about how he will bring them in. They will offer sacrifices and burnt offerings, that his house will be called the house of prayer for all the peoples which we know is a statement repeated in the Gospels. Right, right. by Jesus. Um, so it's right. impactful to see that. Exactly, yeah. it's impactful to see that statement repeated because what that is is talking about in its original uh, Isaianic context mm-hmm. is non-native Israelites, non-Jews, mm-hmm. being brought in because they love the Lord, because they want to be joined to him. And one of the chief examples that God gives in this prophecy is keeping the Sabbath. Mm. And of course, as we know from Leviticus 23, Sabbath is actually plural, right? Sabbaths is what he's talking about. That includes the festival days Hmm. Um, because these are Sabbaths of God. They are times that are appointed of of ceasing work, right? Mm -hmm. That's the example that that God set for it, but also a time of corporate gathering for worship. That's why they're also called holy convocations, right? right? To have a holy convocation, you have to have a gathering together of people. Um, So I I believe the expectation, sorry. No, I was just going to say, I thought that was a really interesting point that you made with bringing in the idea of, you know, Ruth being a Moabite, being an outsider, being a foreigner, but still being a part of Israel and therefore joining herself with the people of Israel and what they did, right? So that I, I was just thinking about that in light of like a Gentile, right? And maybe you're going to get there, but I'm I'm going to let you keep talking. Uh, yeah, no, it's, it, it is good um, because it does, I think um, it, 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 it completes the picture, mm-hmm. right? We talk about um, this is for Jews versus that's for Gentiles. And I would correct that a little bit and say this is for Israel mm. because Israel is what God's people is supposed to be put together. You know, in Acts, okay. sure. um, we find a statement to the, the ecclesia in the wilderness, right? Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because really old translations said the church in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. Now, newer translations, they'll change that. They'll, they'll say church all the times you see the, the Greek word ecclesia. Um, but in the, in that place in Acts, they'll say the congregation. Hmm. Well, it's because this, there's still this, this sort of like paradigm that has to be gotten over the fact that it would talk about the congregation of Israel versus the congregation of believers. But in reality, it's always supposed to have been God's people, those who are following him, those who are joined to him, even throughout the prophets, we see some of Israel was rejected then Mm -hmm. and some were uh, preserved then there's, there's motifs all throughout the, the prophets, especially of the remnant, right? We have all kinds of, of prophecies and such of God preserving a remnant for himself during the time of Elijah, you know, with the, with the prophets, he's like, look, you don't even know about these that I've preserved over here. You know, God keeps a remnant to himself. There's always been this, this idea that what it's about is not the blood that's in your veins um, or the DNA that you have. What it's about is, are you following the Lord or not? Yeah. And Paul discusses this extensively in Romans. Right. He discusses the olive tree. You know, we get to Romans 10 and 11. Uh, he discusses the olive tree. And he says, look, there are natural branches that are broken off because mm-hmm. they were unfaithful. Sure. Um, and there are foreign branches that are grafted in. You know, this sort of grafted in theology. Now, a, a lot of pushback that I see, especially from within the Messianic Jewish movement, is the, the fear that non-Jews will come in and basically pretend to be Jews, claim to be Jews, or say that, they'll re- that they've replaced the Jewish mm-hmm. people. Right. Um, that's typically brought in by supersessionism, right? Yeah. Or replacement theology, uh-huh. it's usually called. Yeah. Um, but it, it's not, it's not about replacing, 
right? I mean, if, if you have three children and you adopt three more, you didn't replace the three you already had. Your family just hmm. got bigger. That's really good. Um, Tim Hegg, uh, a Messianic Jewish scholar, uh, Tim Hegg refers to it. He says, it, it, this is not about replacement theology. This is not the church coming in and replacing Israel. This is about enlargement theology. This is about mm. Israel, God's people getting bigger, expanding the kingdom, which we know is is what was happening in the first century and beyond anyways. As the gospel went out, the kingdom expanded. That's right. Um, and so it, the said, gospel is about the kingdom. That's right. So essentially what you're saying is that because we are grafted into Israel as Gentiles, because we are part of Israel as God's people, therefore sharing in the festivals is sharing and being a part of what God has given to his people to celebrate him, to worship him, to know him, to remember him, and to be drawn to him. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Um, and, you know, as we, again, we have to to be able to view these things from what the point was, you know, we can get, we can get caught up in the, the traditions and the trappings of, you know, well, why do I, you know, we talk about Sukkot and it's like, why do you scratch a lemon and wave these weird branches around? And what does all this mean? And, yeah. you know, it, it, those things need to be framed, first of all, in their historical context. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the traditions that has preserved that historical context teaches a larger spiritual lesson. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's, there's, you know, like we talk about their, their feast days. Well, feast is to eat stuff, right? We have a feast, we have a banquet. Why is it all about eating? Um, thank you. I was talking to my wife about that recently. Exactly. Right. Cause who doesn't love eating? You know? <laughs> um, but especially again, you know, you compare that to the ancient model, having a fellowship meal together was mm-hmm. a sign. Hospitality was huge yes. in the ancient world. We, we've That's lost right. a lot of that in, in mm-hmm. the modern era, but hospitality was, was huge. Having a meal together was huge. You know, the, the church even preserved that even after it left behind, um, a, largely its Jewish identity. Um, but even the Christian church afterwards still preserved that in the Eucharist, right? In communion, sure. this idea of taking the bread and wine together, this, this mm-hmm. fellowship meal together yeah. um, was even preserved throughout Western history into, you know, even the modern church. Yeah. But it's, it's the, the large piece of it is community, mm-hmm. right? And the point of God's people coming together, because we know that the first deficiency ever found in mankind before the fall was man being alone. Mm. Right. The only, the, the very first thing, even before sin came into the picture, the very first thing that was ever not good was Adam being alone. Right. That there that's, wasn't someone with him. That's why this whole idea of like a personal relationship with God gets under my skin a little bit because it, it kind of like makes it all about like the individual. When really the Bible speaks of a community getting to know God together, and that's what we see in the nation of Israel. It's all about the community. The community. And today's Western world church tries to make it about the individual's devotional time or the individual's walk with God when really we grow most in community with others. And that's what the festivals do. They draw us into community with other people. They draw us into a place of accountability and prayer for one another and really just help fuel what God started from the get-go, right, was to bring about a community of people, to know him, to love him, to serve him. So, Jonathan, this has been like a super fun discussion, and we always try to keep our episodes a little bit shorter for our listeners. And so, friend, that's why you got to come back next week. And Jonathan and I are going to keep talking about the festivals and um, and some more fun uh, things in that regard. And so, friends, thanks again for joining us for this episode, and uh, we'll catch you next time on the First Century Youth Ministry Podcast. Bye.